Welcome to the Board Game Dojo Podcast. My name is Eric. Thank you so much for joining us today. Whether it's your first time listening, you listen to every episode, or somewhere in between, we sincerely, sincerely, sincerely appreciate you giving us some time out of your day to listen to our little podcast. Today, I'm going to keep this episode a little bit short, or at least try to, because you know I like to ramble, because I think our second episode of the week is going to be a bit on the longer side. So we're only going to talk about two games today. First, we are going to talk about the pancake flipping dexterity game from Japan called Okonomi. And then second, we are going to talk about a rabbit-filled hotness from 2017 called Bunny Kingdom. Just a reminder that if you are enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star review on your podcast app of choice, and a written review is even better. Not only does it help other people find the show, it helps possible guests and interviewees find the show as well. We've had guests like Sai Beppu, John Barron, Taiki Shinzawa, and the more of those guests that we bring to you, we think is going to make for an exciting show. So if you could do that for us, that would be awesome. Okay, so that out of the way, let's get into the games and let's start with Okonomi. Okonomi by itself kind of means something that you like, but it's most known for, and the game is based around the theme of Okonomiyaki, which is a Japanese-style savory pancake. Now, depending on the kind of restaurant that you go to, some will allow you to flip the pancake on the table yourself, and some will do it for you because of what I'm about to tell you. Because when they let you do it at the table, they usually give you a bowl of batter and maybe some of the toppings that you can put on it yourself. You put the batter down on the grill, and then they usually bring you a timer as to when you should flip the pancake over. You'll take two of these big spatulas once it's ready and flip over everything, hopefully keeping all of the batter intact. And then you can put your toppings and things like that on it. Okonomi is looking to make that pancake flipping process into the game. So in the box, you are given a variety of components. The game box itself works as the grill. You are given the pancake itself, and then you're given these little chips that work as toppings. On one side of it is the topping itself. The other side is blank, and I will tell you why that's important here in a moment. You're also given these two kind of sturdy cards that work as your spatula. Now, there are different game modes as to how to put all of these components together. One way is the most basic way in which you'll put 10 of those topping chips upside down on the pancake thing. You'll put the pancake on the grill part of the box. You'll say three, two, one, and use the spatula cards to try to flip the pancake over, and hopefully all of the toppings go the right way up as well. Then you get points for how many toppings you keep either on the pancake or inside the grill, because, well, the reason that some of the Okonomiyaki shops don't have you flip the pancake yourself is because, well, the toppings in the batter, they can kind of go everywhere. And the same thing can happen in this game. Another mode introduces the fact that A, you can pick anywhere between 5 and 15 topping chips instead of just 10. But you are also going to be able to pick a betting chip that have different conditions that you can meet for positive points. But if you don't meet it, then you lose those points. For example, you might take the Kami betting chip, which means God. You are a God-tier level pancake flipper. And what this means is that you are betting that each of the toppings that you put down on the pancake, you will be able to successfully flip them over to the right side inside of the pancake and not miss a single one. Even if you miss a single one, you lose five points. But if you make it, well, then you gain five points, which is quite a bit. So it's these kind of betting mechanisms that are this game mode's differentiating point. 
But the last game mode has a matching game to start, and that's why I said it was important earlier that one side has toppings and one side does not. You are literally going to be playing a matching game with everybody, and if you take a pair of toppings, then you have that in your pile, and those will be the toppings that you will be flipping later. But there is an additional layer, because each person is also given a card that has two things that they enjoy in their okonomiyaki, but one thing that they do not like in their okonomiyaki. Step two is a lot like the other game modes where you'll put all of those toppings that you took on top of the pancake, say three, two, one, and try to flip it over. Step three is a draft of the ones that you were successful in flipping over. And then hopefully you will be able to draft the ones that you like in your okonomiyaki because those will be worth two points. If you just take another ingredient that you neither like or dislike, it's just one point. But if you take one that you dislike, then you lose one point. All three of these game modes are played in three rounds, and whoever has the most points at the end wins. Now that's the objective part of the review out of the way, but before we get into the subjective part of the review, I just want to let you know that this copy was provided to us for free by the publisher Cosme Box, both as a way to review the game, but also because it was put in the Tokyo Game Market boxes that we released, and so this works as a kind of rulebook for those who received the game because there is no English rulebook. We will be translating the rulebook into English this week. So let's get into the subjective part of the review. And I think the first thing to think about is just the context as to where dexterity games are in Japan and kind of the societal thing. Because I have noticed that ever since board game cafes have really opened back up and gotten busier and busier, we are getting a lot more games like this that are dexterity games that are kind of made around a central gimmick that maybe people might be doing in some other part of their life or might be something strange and interesting that they haven't done before. But then essentially they are going to take these few components or the central gimmick and say, okay, we've given you a few components and we're also going to give you four or five different rule sets as to how to play it. I think an example that we reviewed on our YouTube channel would be Nuts A Go Go by Ethan. And I think Ethan is probably one of the better known companies that have been doing this a lot lately with their Fun Brick series and other games like Nuts A Go Go, as I just mentioned, where it's like, hey, there's not a whole lot of components here but we are going to give you one or two or more ways of using these components in different ways. And maybe abroad, I think one of the games that best illustrate this is Junk Art, a game that at first you're like, okay, this just sounds kind of like Jenga, or huh, it's just a game of stacking things. How many possible ways can I be playing this game? And you would be very surprised because Junk Art continues to be very, very successful as people find different ways of using these few amounts of components. And I think that this is pretty interesting for a couple of reasons. One, these games seem to be much more in line with giving people experiences rather than giving people a game. And what I mean by that is if we take a look and we try to evaluate an Iten game or Okonomi, for example, we really should be evaluating it based on what the game is actually giving to people. We're not going to evaluate the mechanisms and how well it causes this strategy or how much it leaves people feeling like, oh, what decisions should I make here? It's, it's like we could evaluate it that way, but just almost defeats the purpose because the actual purpose of this game is to just be like, hey, take it off your shelf, look at this game, that I have that is unlike anything else that you've done. It's a silly experience. It's going to take us 10 to 20 minutes. Do you want to try it? And 
we should almost evaluate it on, well, how interesting is that experience? How unique is that experience? Is that an experience that we recommend? The other interesting thing is that where we are seeing people talk about these games and when we are seeing people talk about these games are often in social settings like board game meetups, board game cafes, board game shops, things like that. It's not often that we're hearing people talk about these kind of games as games that they're playing at home. So it's interesting here to see Cosme Box, a publisher that has before really focused on card games that use mechanisms that you, I think, might be more familiar with if you're a hobbyist board gamer, go to this dexterity level game and try to straddle the line between we want to create a game that is based around a gimmick, but we want to make it small enough and simple enough that it works well at player counts like three or four, but it'd also be really fun to bring it to a board game cafe. Essentially, it's a game that you could play at home or in a social setting, unlike other games that we have seen like this that really try to focus on one or the other. And it's going to be based on that, that we are evaluating this game. To begin with, I'm actually quite a fan of this theme, this concept, because I never really think about it, but when you do go to an Okonomiyaki restaurant and you have somebody that is quite good at being able to flip it, well, you're just giving them the spatulas and letting them do that because it's very impressive that like, okay, if I want a good, delicious Okonomiyaki with all of the toppings perfectly grilled, I am letting them deal with it. But there is also a reason why lots of restaurants do it themselves because there are lots of people who are very, very, very bad at it and will absolutely just make a mess. It's a bit funnier when you're at home and getting a chance to mess up than the bacon that you just paid for flinging across the room. And I guess that that's a good place to get into the specifics of this game, finally, even though I said we were probably going to start the review like five minutes ago. We can start with the central question of, well, usually when they give different game modes, one is usually better than the other, or maybe two of them are good, one of them are bad. And the latter case is the one that is in this game. I like the basic mode of the game, and I like the game mode that you are picking a betting chip and choosing between five and 15. Actually, that game mode is my preferred one where you get to take a betting chip, see how well you do, and maybe, you know, have that thing of, okay, you know, I'm winning, do I really wanna take a bet to lose points? But when you're losing, you can try to make bigger bets. I think that that is the best way to play this game. I really, really do not like the matching mode of this game, that third way that has you playing a matching game and then doing the flipping and then doing the drafting. Like I kind of get the idea, like when I first got the card that says, okay, you are aiming for these two toppings and you really don't want the third topping. At first I was like, okay, that's actually gonna be a pretty cool idea. How are they going to implement this with the rest of this game? Because it does seem quite nice to have ingredients that I like in my okonomiyaki, that makes sense. And one that I will lose points for because maybe I'm allergic to it, or I very much dislike it. And then when they said, okay, well, no, it's a matching game. It's like, okay, there's a matching game. Okay. So I guess I gotta make sure that I'm doing that right. And then it's like, okay, also there's a draft and you're like, wait, what? So if you do get this game, I would kind of stay away from the matching mode, but let's talk about the other two modes because I do think the other two modes have some possibilities, some potential to bring some fun into your home or your game group. 
because I think the basic mode really is kind of like the family friendly version. I think that it's probably the easiest and the one that I would definitely play with kids. Hey, you just put 10 tokens on it. See how well you do with flipping it. It's also in terms of rules and like what counts as points. It's also the easiest because it's just like, hey, anywhere on the grill is fine as long as you're not flinging it halfway across the room. But also because you're playing with kids, that is absolutely just going to happen. And they seem to kind of have this in mind because the chips themselves are very sturdy. So they're not going to break and they're probably going to be pretty easy to find. And I think the other game mode is more akin to something that I would bring to a game group as kind of this thing of, hey, we don't need to play all three rounds. But I actually do think it's pretty fun to just try. Like, hey, who wants to give this game a shot? It's a pretty, like, thin box. It's a little bit large, but it's very thin, so you can be able to easily pack it in with the rest of your games that you bring in a game night. So you can just say, hey, you know, we have five minutes. I want everybody to just try this thing where they have to flip over this pancake on the grill and see how you like it, see how good you are. And you can either be amazed because somebody is really good at it, or you're going to laugh because they're very, very bad at it. We talked previously about Wonder Bowling and that the first time that you're going to play that, I think everybody can be a little bit frustrated because everybody is just so bad at it and you don't really understand how you should be good at it. Whereas this one is intuitive enough to be like, I can get better at this. Maybe if I just flip it a little bit faster or maybe, you know, I just was unbalanced and my right hand lifted faster than the left hand. Because I think a lot of people do have that concept in their brain of like, okay, I flipped a pancake before. This should work very similarly, right? But instead, you're using two spatulas to do it, so you have to be a lot more in sync with your left arm and your right arm. So it's challenging enough to be like, I'm decently bad at it to start with and there's room for improvement, but it's easy enough to be like, this doesn't seem impossible. It seems like just with a couple tries, I should be able to be a lot better at it. And then that's where you add in the betting chips and be like, okay, I've, tr I've flipped this pancake a couple times. Now I'm willing to bet because I've gotten better at this. Maybe am I at the God tier yet? I'm not really sure. So ultimately, our conclusion is of Okonomi is a game that you don't really need to have. It's not an essential in any kind of collection, but if you are somebody that enjoys Ethan games, especially games in which you are bringing a gimmick to the table, showing other people, hey, this is something that you've never done before, try this out and see what you think. If that's your style of game, and that's the kind of thing your game group enjoys, then I recommend this. I also recommend this if you are a board game cafe owner out there and looking for something new to add to the collection. I think board game cafes are a great place to try this out if you don't mind tokens kind of flinging a little bit. And finally, the group that we actually thought would be best for this would be to play with kids. We think that this would make an excellent family game, a game that everybody can kind of be somewhat bad at and somewhat good at no matter the age group. And you could do like an Okonomiyaki night where you play this game and you also make Okonomiyaki at home. You can go to the Japanese supermarket and usually they have mixes for the batter, kind of like pancake mixes, and you can make it at home. But yeah, that is Okonomi. This was a review copy provided by the publisher. This was designed, illustrated, and published by the team at Cosme Box. Our next game is Bunny Kingdom, all of the hotness from 2017. So we're only seven years late, right? Wait, was 2017 seven years ago at this point? My goodness, how time flies. 
Anyway, Money Kingdom is a drafting game, a la Sushi Go or Seven Wonders, in which you will be taking cards from the hand that you were dealt, choosing two of them, and then passing the rest to the next person. Everybody will be passing their hand around the table. So in this kind of style of game, you need to both decide, well, what cards do I want now? Because you hope that the other cards that you want are going to get back around the table, but you know that they probably won't. Now, these cards that you are drafting will have different things on them that you will gain if you choose them. One of these things is a spot on the board that is laid out like a grid. So for example, if you take the card that says C1, well, you get to put one of your colored bunnies in the territory C1. And there's no way for people to take back that territory. So that'll be yours for the rest of the game. Another thing you can draft are resources. So you might be able to put down fish or carrots somewhere in one of the territories that you have control over. Another thing that you can draft is construction stuff. So you might be able to build a city center that's of one, two, or three value. And I'll tell you why that's a little bit important later. Or you might be able to build an additional resource on one of your spaces. The last thing that you can draft are contract cards, and these work as kind of achievements or objectives throughout the game. They might be something like, oh, you just gain two points, but they might also be like, hey, you get two points for each carrot you have in your largest city. Or if you are the person that has the least amount of carrot resources, then you gain 12 points. So it, there's a couple different ways in which the points can work. Now, after everybody is done drafting, you'll be able to construct anything that you drafted that has a construction element to it, so like a city center, and then it'll be time to score points. Points are actually based on the value of the city center multiplied by the different resources that you have in that city that has connecting bunnies. The key there is different resources, not how many of that resource you actually have unless you have that contract card. Because who cares if you have three different spots that has carrots as a resource, you want carrots and fish. So for example, if you have a two city and you have two different resources, well, that's two times two, that's four points for this round. You're gonna go through this in different rounds and then at the end of the game, you're gonna do a final score, but then you're also going to count up all of your contract cards and then whoever has the most points wins. So to start off with, this game was recommended to me as a kind of family weight style of game, something to get people into board games, or as you might know it, a gateway game. And let's just talk about the game itself first, and then I'll talk a little bit about how I see that recommendation a little bit later. I really enjoyed my plays of Bunny Kingdom. I never played with the expansion, so I really can't talk about whether or not I like that edition. But I think Bunny Kingdom is this nice mix of simple mechanics, and it's just drafting, and a lot of people have played drafting games before, and then adding this spatial board element to it to really make it pop off of the table. When we have played this in public, we've always had people kind of walk up to the table, kind of see what's going on, take quick stock of like, ooh, the purple bunny has really taken over the territory in this corner of the board. The orange family seems to be over in this sort of the board. The pink bunnies are just running right down the middle. So it's this kind of nice thing where you can just take a look at the board itself and kind of understand what's going on. This makes it both accessible for people who are newer to the hobby because there's not a whole lot of interlocking things and little rules that they have to keep track of. It's simply draft a card, do a thing, 
and you are probably going to get points for that thing. You're talking that everybody's going to be getting 100, 200 points in this game, and that can feel very good. But there's enough there that people who are more familiar with the board game hobby can kind of decide between what they think is going to edge them out in a couple more points here or a couple more points here. Maybe this is a good card to get in the short run, but this game is better for the long run. When in the game should I start drafting these contract cards? Because in our games, they always seem to be the last one in every round to get drafted because people are trying to add to the board. They're trying to build up their city, but as you play more and get more familiar with what contracts are good or might be good for you in that game, you might sacrifice building a city on your turn because you know that like, wow, I have so many carrot resources on the board and I got the contract that I get two points for every carrot resource that I have. That is going to be maybe worth more points for me than building that city center in the long run. So that's a cool element to this game. Another thing that I like about this game is that turns are really snappy. A lot of it is simultaneous action and picking of your things. And so after people kind of understand what the cards can kind of do after one or two plays, the turns go very, very quickly. But that leads me to probably the biggest negative of this game because for a game that feels like it is so snappy and you fly through rounds and you know, there's like little setup between the rounds, what takes the longest is the end game scoring. I don't know how to improve this, but it seems like every single game we have played of this, the actual scoring of the game has taken at least as long, if not longer, than one of the rounds that you are playing. Because people have so many of these contract cards that they're getting, and then there's points in this city, and points in this city, and points in this city, it takes like 10 to 15 minutes when the rest of the game probably took like 45 minutes. So it's kind of like a quarter of the time you're playing in this game is actually just figuring out who is going to win just based on points. Okay, I have this contract, I get uh, two points there, two, four, six, eight, 10, 12. And you're doing this for every single contract card for every single person. I know that there are scoring variants that are supposed to speed this up, um, but wow, I just, it pumped the brakes on this game for me. When I was playing these games, every single time I'm like, oh yeah, I remember, like this game was really, really fun. Yes, oh, okay, yeah, I'm gonna recommend this. I think I'm gonna talk about this on the podcast because I recommend this. And then we get to the end game scoring and it's like, oh, this is where uh, I have to be a bit more hesitant on this. Another thing that I wanted to think about was in the vein that a lot of people recommend this as a gateway game, as I said, an introduction maybe to drafting or to these style of games. And I think this is where it's more based on personal preference than anything. I am somebody who likes to take things a step at a time in terms of board games. For example, I am often not one who introduces the crew to people as their first trick taker, mostly because, well, it's a cooperative game. And if you don't know how to play trick takers, then I'm kind of afraid that you're going to feel like you're failing all the rest of us. And so I want to introduce you to a very basic trick taking game. So you at least get some idea of how to play a trick taking game. In fact, it was one of the first videos we did on the board game dojo was five games to play before playing the crew. Well, this actually feels a bit like the crew to me, where there's not a whole lot of rules that you have to understand and be able to kind of say, okay, I understand how this relates to this. I need this to do this. But I think that there is enough there 
that I would much rather play Bunny Kingdom after I know somebody has played a game like Sushi Go, where they understand the important points of drafting, not only in how to take cards that I want, but how to prevent other people from getting what they want in certain situations, which is often just called hate drafting. And this is especially prominent in the two-player game because in the three or four-player game, we've run into that, like, I think 90% of the time you are drafting cards because you want them. And only 10% of the time you're taking cards because you don't want somebody else to have one of those cards. But in the two-player game, it is much closer to, like, 50-50. So what can happen is that if you don't understand how to prevent your opponent from getting what they want, you're going to end up maybe giving them the win, but probably neither one of you are going to be able to have fun to your full potential. This can even happen if some people have just a little bit of drafting experience because they might be just thinking, okay, I'm going to take the cards that I need here, but not thinking about the next opponent. And then what happens is their opponent is just able to get everything that they want and are just going to demolish the field. This actually happened the first game that we played in which, hey, I was playing with like familiar people with board games, but maybe not as familiar with drafting. And one person just kind of ran away with the game. So that's where I'm at in terms of like, is it a gateway game or not? I think it could work just like the crew works with many, many people as their introduction to the trick taking genre. It's just more of a personal preference to me to say like, I would like to take like a half step before it, if it's possible for you to maybe say, hey, I'm gonna go buy like five or $10 Sushi Go. It's a good game by itself. So, I mean, it's a great addition to your collection anyway, but then it also helps in kind of a step of, hey, we're gonna start with Sushi Go and then we're gonna play Bunny Kingdom. We're just gonna have a drafting night of it. But overall, I think that even though the end game scoring takes forever, I do think that this game is worth taking a look at if you're looking for something with a board presence but feels so much like a card game. I think even though this game came out seven years ago, I do think that it holds up even though there are so many other board games to choose from. It's rules light enough to be approachable for people who are newer to the hobby, but there is enough strategy there to keep people who have been in the hobby for a while entertained and really actually works in both groups of all new gamers or all hobbyist gamers. It is fun either way. And that is Bunny Kingdom, designed by Richard Garfield. The art is by Paul Mafayon, and is published by Yellow. Well, that is going to do it for today. Hey, I actually came in under a half an hour. That's pretty good, right? But I still only talked about two games. Sorry for my rambling. If you enjoyed the podcast, again, if you could leave us five stars, that would be awesome. And please look forward to our next episode this week. It is going to be a psychology lecture. So I hope that you enjoy that. Thank you so much for joining us today. Arigatou gozaimashita. Until next time, jane. Ja